There's this thing in our industry, call it tradition or whatever, where the chef is often portrayed as this tyrant lording over the kitchen, slamming pots and pans, screaming at the cooks, and striking fear into the servers that dare enter that sacred space. But the longer I spend in the industry, the more I've been questioning that behavior. So we're going to call this episode an addendum to some of the previous episodes where we've talked about leadership and management and finding your why. The bottom line is this. I think the restaurant industry is often slow to change, especially when we compare it to other industries. But with unemployment at an all-time low, I think workplace environment is something that people are considering more and more when they decide where to work. So in this week's episode, I want to get into it and I want to break it all down and hopefully find a better way forward. And yes, I promise it will all come back to marketing your restaurant. Stick around. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who can see when shown, and those who will never see. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for everyone in the middle. Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. So each week I choose a different topic. We explore that topic, we pick it apart. Hopefully by the end we come across some useful insights and then we always finish up with an assignment. I leave you with a short, actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing the concepts we talk about here on the show because as I say each and every week, I believe information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. But before we dive into this week's subject, I want to thank all of you out there who have gone on and left us a rating or logged a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Uh, They really do help us find an audience, uh, so, so thank you. If you haven't done so yet and you do have a quick second, please go ahead and do that now. It's super easy and all those five-star ratings do, uh, they just help us with visibility. They help uh, people uh, find us. People who are looking for this kind of content find us. It just helps broaden our community, which is a good thing. So now, this week's episode is titled, Kill Them With Kindness. And over the past few years, I've been wondering, what's happened to common decency? Was it always missing from the restaurant industry or... Is this just something we've grown accustomed to? And how far back does this kind of culture go? 50 years? 100 years longer? More importantly, why does the industry insist on perpetuating that behavior? Why don't we collectively all rise up and demand change? These days, I know HR departments have their hands full. I know that just from talking to the different companies I work with. Uh, The term hostile work environment is the buzzword, and and it refers to, I think, all different kinds of harassment. Uh, In a post-MeToo era, I think uh, American society as a whole is uh, is re-examining, redefining what we mean by uh, harassment, um, trying to articulate uh, what it is. And then what kind of energy and attitude is worth putting up with? We we all decide that on a daily basis. Um, But collectively, I think we're all trying to figure out what we should expect from our workplace. What do we mean by safe space? Now, let me be clear on a couple of things right here at the top. Restaurants do not have the market cornered on jerky bosses. Of course not. Many other industries out there have war stories of their own. But it seems particularly strange for our industry the hospitality industry. I will pause here to ask all of you out there listening uh, to do me a favor. 
please take a second and share your thoughts with me on this subject. I promise it will be anonymous. I promise not to use your name or your restaurant's name or the chef's name or the owner. I just want to hear from a bunch of you out there to see if we can't find some common threads. I want to understand this. And, and while I've worked in many, many restaurants over my career, I know there are many, many more out there. So please take a second and help me out. Email me directly, chip at chipclose.com. That's C-H-I-P. K-L-O-S-E dot com. More than anything, I, I want to understand uh, the culture in your restaurant. How do you handle these sorts of things? If you're an owner, I assume you've spent at least a little time thinking about culture. And so what have you done to try to provide a good working environment for your staff? What are the challenges you struggle with in, in trying to do that? I want to know what other places out there are doing and, and, and how they're doing it right. I want to identify what we can learn from. So, of course, we all can think of restaurants that are doing it wrong. No need to go into that. Uh, let's just focus on the positive. Let's identify the little things we can do to build a better workplace for our staff, our patrons, and ourselves. Now, our jobs are stressful, especially for those of us who work in fine dining. People pay a lot of money for their meal and, understandably, have high expectations. And every minute matters. Sometimes just a few seconds can be the difference between a, a perfectly cooked steak and an overdone one. So I get it. The chef especially has to orchestrate a team of cooks and coordinate everything so that it arrives together, so that it's all seamless, so it hits the table together. But that's their job, right? That's their job to, to orchestrate and to manage their team of cooks, except we never teach management to chefs, and I think we've done them and our industry a disservice. It's just something that they're supposed to pick up along the way, this, this management, right? But that is if they've worked with the right kind of people and have the right outlook, meaning they have to want to learn it. So the chef's job, as I see it, is threefold. Number one, creativity, right? Designing, implementing, and executing a menu. Number two is cost management, uh, both maintaining labor cost and food cost. And the third part is leadership, overseeing a staff of sous chefs, cooks, and porters, uh, hiring them, training them, and overseeing them, helping the entire staff to understand and execute the vision. And those are often prioritized in that order, which I got to tell you, seems a bit backwards to me. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I'm working with some very challenging personalities at the moment, and the same issues keep coming up over and over and over again. The main one I keep hearing about is staffing. The chefs say, we can't find good staff. We can't keep good staff. And I can't help but wonder, well, if you were nicer, more patient with the staff you do have or with the, the cooks who come to trail, maybe staffing wouldn't be an issue. So restaurants are known for their unusually high turnover, and some of that is avoidable. On the other hand, though, much of that is very avoidable. And let me explain why leadership should come first. Labor cost can be solved by nurturing your staff, by taking care of them, by guiding them. When a chef spends an entire shift screaming at the cooks, it's inevitable that at least some of them are going to quit. And when that happens, it puts a tax on the rest of the team. The others then have to pick up the extra shifts, which means more overtime. So now those people are not only overworked, but are also more expensive. Plus, they're spending more time in that kitchen with a rabid chef who won't stop screaming, which then exacerbates the initial problem. Of course, you have to go back and train then another new person to take the place of the guy who walked out. So poor leadership leads to poor labor cost. 
It also then leads to poor food costs because when you're constantly working with a team of new cooks, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to prep something incorrectly or overcook the fish one night. Food is going to get sent back to the kitchen and the dish will then have to be made all over again from scratch. So it's easy to see how then food cost goes up. Finally, poor leadership will also undermine creativity, that thing that so many chefs insist is paramount. Because if the chef has to waste all their time interviewing and training new staff and doing all of the tasks normally done by the cooks, then when are they going to find the time for menu development? Plus, the anxiety of being understaffed, if your brain space is being taken up by that, that sense of worry you feel, then how are you going to let it do the things that you want it to do? How can you be creative when, when worry and anxiety keeps chiming in? I will submit to you that you can't, at least not nearly as effectively or as efficiently as you need to do it. So when you put leadership way down at the bottom of the priority list, it ends up affecting everything else. And I'm always amazed that during the hiring process for a chef, first comes the interview, then maybe a second interview, then comes the tasting, then you call around for references, and then they offer the job. But in all of that, how did you identify the traits and skills that make them a good manager of people? Is there a way of figuring out if people like working for them? I, I often wonder about calling some of the staff who used to work for them. Wouldn't it be useful to try to get a sense of what the culture was like in the, in the last kitchen they ran? Soldiers will rush into battle for a leader they trust and love. They will go above and beyond, and they will do so gladly. And so I guess we have to go back to the subject I brought up a few episodes ago. Let's talk about why people work where they work. First and foremost, people need a job to make money so they can pay for things. Housing, transportation, utilities, food, clothing, and oh yeah, fun stuff like vacations and even just a night out with friends. But with unemployment at an all-time low, it's October 2019 at the time of this recording, People have choices when it comes to finding a place to work. So the money being equal, meaning they're going to make the same at restaurant A and restaurant B, they have to look at some of the other details. And so perhaps they'll compare the benefit packages. What kind of health insurance is offered? Dental, 401k. Maybe they'll consider PTO and other perks. They'll probably look at their potential schedule, get a sense of what kind of shifts they'll be working. Will it give them time to do the things that are important like um, like spending time with family and so on. When faced with these two jobs, I'm sure some people will also consider the growth opportunities, not just whether they can eventually get promoted within that organization, within that restaurant, but also whether they're going to learn new things at this job. Will they pick up new skills that they can use to help market themselves in the future? Will the things they learn here eventually help them get better positions somewhere else? But the last thing people will think about when they consider taking a job is the culture. And maybe that sounds all earth crunchy woo woo, but more and more people are thinking about lifestyle these days. What will be the balance of, of stress to pay, hours worked to skills gained, uh, emotional investment to loyalty on the part of the employer? Your employees are constantly weighing those things. And so you might as well think about it from the very start. When you do, I think you'll realize that kindness plays a big part in all of this. The other word I like to use for this, the other synonym to kindness is generosity. 
Now, generosity does not mean we walk around giving out hugs instead of reprimanding people. That's not what I'm saying. Especially in hospitality, there is a right way and a wrong way that something is done. A right way to clear a dish and a wrong way. The right way to build a sauce and the wrong way. And it's our job as leaders to teach the people below us. But more than that, I think it's our job to inspire the people who work for us. To find people who are hungry, eager to do things right, excited to dive in and learn, and then bring them along. So what do you do then with that energy? How do you foster that sense of ambition and excitement? Are you motivating the staff you have? Are you helping them along on their own individual journey? Because remember that we are all on our own unique journey and we cross paths with people every single day. What happens at that intersection is important. Now, Zig Ziglar was uh, famous for saying, you can get everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. Now, that's really become the credo for all modern marketing. It's certainly, uh, it weaves through all of the work that I do. Uh, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. Seth Godin was a student of Zig's. Um, so it, it trickles all the way down. I think, you know, we talk about, you know, audience and solving problems and how do we serve our audience. Um, th that quote wraps it all up. Again, Zig Ziglar said, you can get everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. But here's the thing. I think it's something that should also spill over into the other areas of our lives as well. It applies not just to sales, not just to that interaction between you and the consumer, but also between you and everyone you come in contact with. If you offer the kind of experience that allows one of your guests to entertain a big client and to close a big deal during a dinner at your restaurant, they will return time and time again to close deals at your restaurant. You are helping them get what they want and in turn, you are getting what you want. Likewise, if you help your staff achieve what they want, they will help you achieve everything you want. Meaning, if you offer good pay, growth opportunities, and a pleasant work environment, they will have no reason to leave. And that does help you very, very much. Think of it like this. You've got a cook. She wants a good, steady job so she can make enough money to put some food on the table. You invest in her by hiring her, and training her to do the job you need her to do. You nurture her so she can continue to grow so that when it comes time for her to have a family, perhaps she can be making a little more money to pay for the things that her child might need. She will hopefully by then have uh, risen within the company. Perhaps by the time she has children, she's a sous chef or a, a chef de cuisine. Maybe that allows her to start taking some of her weekends off so she can be there for soccer games and birthday parties. If you take care of people and give them the things that they need, they will reward you with hard work and loyalty. And in this day and age, that's no small thing. That woman, that cook who started with you maybe five or six years ago has gone above and beyond numerous times. She's picked up shifts when all she wanted to do was go home and sleep. She came in on what would have been her day off simply because you asked her to, not because she was bullied not because she was guilted into it, but because she wanted to, because she knew her value and she knew she was needed. Leadership happens in the months and in the years before you ask her to come in on her day off. It happens when you give her a random day off because you're not that busy today and you can afford to go with a skeleton crew. It happens when you show her your process of developing a new sauce or, or the process you go through to, uh, to develop a new dish. It happens when you teach her what you know 
and pass on the wisdom you've gathered. That generosity is the only thing that keeps the world turning, passing on the things we know to the next generation. And again, it's important to uphold standards. And sometimes, yes, that means reprimanding the staff you manage. But there are different ways to do that. And you have to figure out which way is the most productive. Can you do it with generosity? Because that's what it all comes down to, right? Productivity. Work faster so that you can do more covers. More covers mean more revenue, which in turn guarantees the health of the business. Motivated employees are more productive. That has been proven. And they're more eager to show up and learn and pass on that knowledge and bring the new hires along. And so the point I'm trying to make is this. It all has to do with kindness, with generosity. Are you being generous in the way you conduct yourself? Generous in the way that you run your business? Because, and this is the main point I'm coming to, we are in hospitality. We take care of people for a living. How can we take care of our guests, but not our staff? How can you create a warm environment where people want to come and spend their money if we don't create a similarly warm environment for the team who works for us? There are a million different ways to take care of people, to create the kind of environment where people want to be, but I think it all begins and ends with kindness. So I'm challenging you this week to start thinking about the culture in your restaurant, to think about the interactions you have with your guests, with your staff, with the vendors you work with. Can you find new ways to bring more kindness to the table? Danny Meyer famously once wrote, Hospitality exists when you believe that the other person is on your side. Let's operate with the assumption that we're all on the same team. It's not front of house versus back of house. It's not management versus staff. It's not restaurant versus guest. We all want to create the kind of place where people want to be. We want staff who want to be here. We want guests who want to be here. We want vendors who want to come here and work with us. It all comes down to kindness and deciding what kind of place you want to build. Now for the assignment this week, I want you to take a look at your workplace and identify five reasons why someone may want to work with you. Then identify five reasons why someone may want to dine with you. The five pros of being an employee and the five benefits of being a consumer, a guest in your restaurant. Then on the other side, I want you to list five things that might deter someone from working with you and then five things that might keep someone from dining with you. Then I want you to come up with a plan to start fixing those five deterrents for employees and the five deterrents for guests. A bunch of them are going to be relatively easy to solve, so fix them right away. Others, though, are perhaps going to be long-term goals. Great. You've identified those, and now you start coming up with a plan. Like, okay, we don't offer a 401k because our business is just too small. Can you do a little research and find out if that's really true? Find out if there are other options out there. If offering some sort of retirement plan would foster a sense of loyalty. If so, then maybe it's a plan worth considering. So that's your assignment. As for continuing education, uh, this week, it's a book that I love. It's called The Power of Nice. I am linking to that in the show notes. It obviously ties uh, directly into this week's episode. To all of the, the listeners out there, I want to uh, thank you again for tuning in. I appreciate you guys being here. It's an extraordinary community. If you guys didn't show up, uh, there'd be no reason for me to do this. This is all about you. Um, I, I hope you see that generosity is uh, certainly woven into this uh, project. It is a, it is a passion project, uh, one born out of love and, and a drive to help make our industry better. I appreciate you being here, and I very much look forward to having you next week. Uh, thanks again. Thanks again.